Morning, everybody. So I, I got to just, I just got to talk a little bit about what John shared. So we, we really are, at least I'll, call, I'll talk about myself, like I'm very stupid, right? I actually tell that to my kids in my classroom sometimes. I said, one thing we need to realize in the world is people are stupid. Me including. Like this morning, I'm not going to lie to you, I was, we were getting a little stressed out, right? It was like quarter till. Then we're like, then Brian came in. I was like, at what point? I mean, they're still not here. And what's amazing to me is whenever you see where we're headed today and the text that God has laid on us as a body today, um, why in the world was I worried? Right? How stupid is that? Because uh, God has a plan and He's working it, and it's for you guys to be here today and for your testimony that you shared. And for the songs that we sang today, I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So we, um, if you've been here since the start of the year, you would realize that we've been in the book of Acts, kind of running through the beginning of the book of Acts. Um, And I think it's important for us today, before we move into the section of text that we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 2, for us to remind ourselves of the situation that the first believers in the book of Acts are actually in. Um, so I want to start today with, with reviewing a little bit quickly. Um, Jesus, through the Gospels, has been telling the disciples that there's going to come a time where he's going to go away so the Helper, the Holy Spirit, could actually come because he knew that his followers needed the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to be able to love the way that he had taught them to love, to be able to carry out the things that he had commissioned them to actually carry out. Um, We see this in evidence in John chapter 14, where Jesus says to the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We see he goes on to tell them, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He goes on and later and says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. So after all these promises that Jesus is telling the disciples that I've got to go, that the Helper would come, Jesus is crucified, He is resurrected, and He appears to His disciples for 40 days teaching them. And then He, tell, and he tells them, He says, you have to wait. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit, for this promise. We see this in Acts chapter one that we've studied earlier in this year where he says, and while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And the disciples obey. They wait. They wait. And last week, We really got to see the cool thing, even though I was back with the kids, I know it was a cool thing when Brian shared, that this promise is actually fulfilled and that the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says they were filled with the Spirit. Jesus' promise was fulfilled. They were, the Spirit comes. The Spirit 
fills the disciples and the Holy Spirit actually indwells. Don't ask me how that's possible. But indwells in them, in their hearts, physically. So I think it's important for us to realize that this moment, like what Brian preached on last week, this is a game changer. This is a, this is a big deal. Um, I don't want to belittle the Holy Spirit's role earlier though, right? All throughout the Old Testament and the Gospels, the Holy Spirit is present and the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of God's people. However, this is different because now the Holy Spirit, he's actually coming to dwell into the hearts of people permanently. In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus himself told the disciples that the Holy Spirit had already been dwelling with them, but that he would soon be dwelling in them. So Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit. He's asked the disciples to wait. And the Holy Spirit has come and is now dwelling in this group of early believers. So now what? Well, today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And if you want to turn your Bibles on your phone with me, I also have it on the screen. If you've been kind of following the chronology of how we've been working through Acts, you might notice that we're going to be skipping, we've actually skipped a portion of uh, chapter 2 where Peter actually preaches a sermon. And um, we're going to be sharing that scripture on Easter Sunday. But let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where the Word of God reads this way. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Dear God, I just uh, thank you for being a God that's in control. I thank you that nothing catches you by surprise. I thank you that you have given us words that you knew when they were written down would apply to us as a body of believers today. And I just pray that there would be, uh, your word today would be clear, that it would speak to us, and that um, we would just be changed people because of it. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to share with you a quote from a, Can a Canadian theologian, actually, uh, today, named J.I. Packer. And uh, here's what he had to say. He said, the, the Christian life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship, and outgoing in witness, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can sustain it. It is my hope today and, and not intended that this message um, be a message 
like a prescription or like a to-do list for a healthy church. That's, that's not what today is. I'm sure many sermons have been preached on this text where that's exactly what it's been. But today, um, that's not going to be our focus. Instead, our focus is on an acknowledgement of the desperate need that we have for the Holy Spirit to maintain the first love to which we were called. The first love. You're going to hear, we're going to talk about that a lot today. To genuinely love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and then to also love our neighbor as ourself. We see this in, with a, a situation with Jesus in Mark chapter 12. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Jesus, he's asking Jesus a question, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The only way that this first church of new Jewish believers was able to have this first love that Jesus talked about was by the power of the Holy Spirit that now, because of Pentecost, dwelt in them. Their hearts had literally been invaded um, by God in the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this church in Acts chapter 2. This church is not made up of perfect people. I think a lot of times we kind of idolize, you hear people say like, oh, we need to be like the church in Acts because the kind of people they were. That's, that's, that's missing the point. They're not perfect people. They're not perfectly organized by any means. They were probably unsure and felt a lot of times like they didn't know what the heck they were doing. To us at the greenhouse, that should sound very familiar, right? Because we kind of, we kind of relish in the whole idea that, you know, hey, we haven't got this figured out. They were people that, they're Jews, right? They have been following Jewish customs their entire lives. And now they had to ask questions like, like what rituals, what, what ceremonies, uh, what holidays, what prescribed prayers are we supposed to, to keep and to follow? They're working through trying to figure out how this newfound faith in Jesus Christ fits into what they had known their entire lives. What we can say, though, however, is that even though they're not perfect, they are pursuing the right things. They're pursuing the right things. They're focused on maintaining right relationship, one with God, and two with other believers. So here's a question we're going to ask ourselves today. What does a fellowship of believers, what does a fellowship of believers who is being led fully by the Holy Spirit look like? First, they're doing their best to love God. And doing their best to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, their mind, and the strength and their strength. And as we look in Acts chapter 2, we see that this group, this early fellowship of believers, we're doing this. In, in verse 42, 
They were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They knew the Old Testament, right? But there's no written New Testament at the time. They can't read the works of Jesus in written form. So what are they relying on? The apostles. Those individuals that had, been, that had walked with Jesus, that had, that had seen the miracles, that had, that had been taught by Him, they're relying on them to learn the gospel and learn the teachings of Jesus. We see that they are praising, that they are devoted to loving God through prayers. In verse 42, obviously communicating to God personally was part of what they were doing on a daily basis. In verse 42, we see that they were participated in the breaking of bread. Now, there's lots of disputes on, you know, is this a meal or is this communion? And we don't really know. But what we do know is if they're relying on the disciples to teach them, that we know Jesus taught the disciples. So we can, we can probably assume that communion is a part of this because Jesus taught it to the disciples and now they're teaching it to this fellowship of early believers. We see in verse 43 that all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. People were in awe. They were in awe because of what the, what the apostles were doing. And the only way that they were doing what they were doing was through the power of the Holy Spirit actually in them. In the next coming weeks, if you kind of read ahead through Acts, we're going to be able to look at some very specific examples of these works. We're going to see things like physical healings. We're going to see things like removal of unclean spirits out of people. In verse 46, we see a love of God in that they, attend, they attended the temple together daily. They made it a point to worship with other believers. We see in verse 46 that they, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and that they humbly, with a humble attitude, gave God credit for supplying their most basic needs. And last, in verse 47, we see a love of God in that they are actually praising God for everything. They're giving Him glory for everything that He is doing. In addition to loving God with all of their being, what is another characteristic of a fellowship of believers who is being fully led by the Spirit? Well, they, want, they love one another and they're devoted to one another. As Jesus' second greatest command tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. A deep, genuine love for one another. We want to pause and reflect on that here because um, we see in verse 42 that there is this love for one another because they are devoting themselves to the fellowship. To the fellowship. The Greek word for the word fellowship is koinonia. Okay, And there's no word in the English language that even really comes close to capturing the spectrum of the meaning of koinonia. Does that make sense? Our definition of fellowship is incomplete. Koinonia, uh, and I think, you know, if you've been in a church community long, we use the word fellowship all the time. Like, you know, growing up, I remember the fellowship lunches and the fellowship dinners that were always held where? The fellowship hall, right? And we have 
fellowship groups that meet together for fellowship. And, and these are all really great things. And these are some of the fondest memories growing up that I have with those fellowship dinners in the fellowship hall. However, if we stop there, if we stop there for our definition of fellowship, it's incomplete. It's incomplete. Koinonia depicts an interactive relationship between God and believers who share life through Christ. Right? How else could a guy that most of us don't know stand up here and say, I can't believe I'm sharing in front of a group of people I don't even know. It's because of why? That fellowship. That thing in common that we all have in the person of Jesus Christ. The essential element in koinonia is participation. Christ. Christ connects us all together in that fellowship. And the focus is always on what believers have in common. This is why the key to understanding koinonia or fellowship in a biblical manner, um, it's the key to understanding the New Testament. It's sharing something in common. Christ and what that looks like when we eat together and when we share with one another, when we, when we pray together and when we, we just do life together, right? As a healthy family. That's our analogy today. Is it, That's what we should look like. Now if we look at the rest of this Acts chapter 2 section, we see confirmation that what this early group of believers was actually doing was true koinonia, was true fellowship. We see in verse 44 that all who believed were together and had all things in common. We see in verse 45 that they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any of them had need. They were sharing their resources together like a family. We see in verse 46 that day by day they were attending the temple together. What we're doing right here is a piece of koinonia. It is part of that fellowship to actually worship together as a body, as a family. We see that day by day in verse 46, they were breaking bread in their homes. They were actually sitting down with each other and going in each other's homes and sharing meals. Again, hopefully, like a family. It's obvious very obvious here that the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives because we see the fruits of the Spirit are very, very evident. Galatians chapter 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we look at this group of this fellowship of believers in Acts chapter 2, we definitely see, it's very clear to us, that they have this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, this passage ends with a really cool verse. Because once again, it turns our attention, our focus, and our awe to what God is doing in this situation. What's He doing? Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A reminder to us that God alone can change the human heart. Right? He's adding to their number. He's drawing them to Himself and He's placing them into His family. 
And I think here just about being a parent, right? Like as a parent, isn't that our desire? Isn't it our desire to, to, to be able to, to place our kids into situations that are healthy, right? And that's exactly what God's doing here. He's, taken, he's taking his children and he's placing them into this healthy family that has, that has true fellowship. So, you know, I'm sure that we all understand, for the most part, why we get together here on Sunday mornings, right? We understand. But there's some other things that go on here that we maybe don't understand, that we, that we maybe are a little, you know, we have some questions about the idea of something maybe like house churches, like we have here um, at the greenhouse, or some smaller fellowship groups of individuals that get, get together and share meals and get into God's Word together. And I want to take some time this morning to explain um, kind of what house churches are, maybe why we have them, and why we have other smaller fellowship groups here at the greenhouse. We can experience parts of this fellowship or this koinonia that we see in Acts chapter 2 in a larger corporate setting right here on a Sunday morning, right? For the example, the early church, what did they do? They went to the temple together. What are we doing today? We are in the temple together. They praise God together. What are we doing today? We are praising God together. However, I do think that our house churches and our smaller fellowship groups that we have here do provide an opportunity for a more complete koinonia or fellowship um, that we actually see demonstrated in this church in Acts chapter 2. For those groups here at the greenhouse, house churches and other fellowship groups, it's about getting together and conversing and eating in each other's homes, as we see done where in Acts chapter 2. It's about giving each other love and support when things aren't going so hot in our lives. It's about having a family to celebrate with whenever things are going pretty hot or good things are happening and you want to share that with your family. It's about getting into God's Word together, being able to share specific, personal prayer requests and lift those up to each other. It's about supporting each other, even if that means sometimes it being uncomfortable accountability. It even, you know, it means getting into each other's lives, being a part of each other's lives, even if that means putting unintentional pressure, possibly on a young athlete by showing up to a lacrosse game or basketball game, or even a tennis match. Right, Eden? Yeah. yeah. Showed up at Eden's tennis matches last fall and put a little bit of pressure on her, right? Unfortunately. If you are not in a house church or some type of a smaller fellowship group, I would like to encourage you to consider it. Not because I think it's a good thing. I think we, th- we see it demonstrated here in Acts chapter 2. It's what they had. And I want to talk to a minute to specifically to our young people, middle schoolers and high schoolers, right? College-age kids. How important it is for you to be a part of a smaller group of believers where you can get into God's Word together, right? Where you can pray for each other, where you can love and support each other, where you can ask questions of each other, where you can provide each other with accountability, And it's important to spend time with people who are willing to disciple you and come alongside you in your faith. 
Okay? We as older people, though, have a responsibility in that as well, right? And it shouldn't be always just feeling like that we're telling the younger people what to do. We have stuff to learn from them as well. That's why God puts it together like a family where old and young can learn and worship together and pray with one another and share and walk through life. Our goal at the greenhouse here on Sundays in our house churches and our other groups that we have that meet is to make what Jesus called the greatest commandments our what? Our first priority. And that's the what? To love God and to love each other. Sometimes though, it's easy to get off track, right? It's easy to lose that first love that Jesus speaks of. And that's, we actually see an example of this in the book of Revelations. Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus. 50 years after he had ascended into heaven by giving John the words to write about this very thing, about forgetting, about getting off track. We see the words of Jesus speaking to the to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 where he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did when? At first. Jesus here points out several things that the church of Ephesus is doing and doing well, right? They're showing endurance. They're showing perseverance. They're rooting out false teachers. But he speaks of something very important that's missing. Their first love. They have lost their love for God and for others. And they have stopped loving the way that they had loved at first. I think that's the state of many churches today. And it's important for us to consistently reflect on our own state here at the greenhouse as a fellowship of believers. Right? We have distractions and pressures of the world that come upon us and make it easy to sometimes abandon that first love without us even realizing that it's happening. So as we look to reflect at the greenhouse this morning on, our, on, on this, our corporate worship setting together, on our house churches and other smaller groups that we have that meet throughout the week, I think there's some important questions that we, we could ask ourselves. And I'd like to share those questions with you. First and foremost, are we fully surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives individually and as a body of believers? Are we committed to God's truth in all we do? Are we genuinely thankful and humbled by how God provides for us? Do we have a sense of awe toward the wonders and signs of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? Do we display genuine love for God and praise Him openly? Are the fruits of the Spirit Evidence in, evident in our actions and attitudes, as in the Acts chapter 2 church? And do we give the Holy Spirit credit for that fruit? Do we look like a healthy family? 
Do we joyfully share resources when others are in need? Is there unity among our group, among us? Do we value spending time together? Are we willing to share a meal or to get into God's Word with each other or sometimes just even hang out together? And do we make that time a priority? Do we provide each other with support? Do we provide each other with guidance and accountability? Are we happily available? Notice the word there, right? Adverb, happily. Are we happily available for each other even when it's inconvenient? Do we serve each other with no strings attached? Can we be real with each other? Do we readily forgive each other? Do we show each other grace? Do we pray for each other? And last, are we dedicated to our first love? I would pray that as a fellowship of believers, that we would not only do the right things, but that we would do them as acts of genuine love for God and love for others. And I would pray that the love and that devotion, the awe, the generosity and the joy that we see demonstrated, where? In this group of early believers in Acts, that those things would be evident in us as well as a fellowship of believers. Let's pray. Dear God, I just uh, thank you this morning uh, that you have given us an example, that you've given us an example of a group of people who, when led by the Holy Spirit and filled by the Holy Spirit, um, are exactly what you have planned for them. And um, I pray that we would be very aware that we are not able to live up to this example on our own. That it was only through you, only through the power that you gave this early group of believers that they were actually able to live this out. And that I'm so thankful, though, that that same power that they had access to, that they had in them, we also have in us as well if we have accepted you as our Lord and Savior. So I, I, just, I just pray for obedience on our part. I pray for a submission that we would just sometimes get out of the way and let you lead and let your spirit work so that in the end, we will bring glory and honor to you by showing you love and by loving other people. In Christ's name, amen.